Today's guest on the podcast is Julie Tyndall. Together with her husband, Matt, they've built Tyndall Architecture Workshop into a massively successful and highly regarded construction and renovation company here in the Southeast. I was really pumped to secure Julie for this interview because since we first met five years ago, she's consistently supported me as an individual and as a budding entrepreneur. Julie's casual and down to earth, but brilliantly adept at running a business that not only wows its customers, but also integrates with the simple and meaningful life the Tyndalls desire. If you look up Tyndall Architecture Workshop on Howls.com, you'll find glowing reviews that describe Julie and Matt as attentive listeners, consummate professionals, and true partners in their clients' projects. I hope you enjoy our chat. You ready? There's no grand intro to this thing. Julie, thanks for coming on the show today. I'm happy to have you. I'm happy to be I here. I feel like this is a big catch. Um, oh, I felt the same way about you. <laughs> it's fun. I appreciate it. Tell us a little bit about Tyndall Architecture Workshop, which y'all do, and what your role in that is. And explain it in a way that those of us who aren't architects can understand it. Mm. If I was going to come up with a tagline, we make your dreams come true. Mm-hmm. Um, Matt and I have been doing this for eight years. TAW, as we affectionately call it, really started out as a dream, as all small businesses do. We are now a small boutique architecture okay. firm, and our focus is on awesome residential work. Okay. What is sort of the scope? Like if you just had to lay out the scope of what type of work you guys do? Right. What's that entail? So, you know, we really want to be the people's architect. Okay. The interesting thing is when I last read the statistic, only 3% of the population uses an architect. But I think a lot more people value an architect. So we want to be the people, the people's architect. So we focus on residential work, but no work is too small and no work is too big. Give us a brief explanation of like, isn't architect required on a home renovation project or is it not? Or what's kind of that? How does that work? That's a great question. And I I really wish that that was a question that every person asked me. because we don't know. Right. We don't know. Absolutely. And I do feel like one of my main roles with our company is education. Nice. And trying to take the, you know, someone like me in this world and connect them to the architecture world. So a licensed architect does not have to, in the state of South Carolina, do design a home. Okay. I think there's requirements for square footage, and that normally then becomes a commercial project. You know, an architect might listen to this and tell me I'm way wrong about that. But (laughs) I know that we don't have to be licensed architects to do residential architecture. Okay. But that's really important to Matt. Okay. So Matt went to undergraduate school, graduate school. He did three years of an internship and then took all of these licensing tests. And I think that that is one of the things that differentiates us. So, yes, could we do commercial work? Absolutely. Are we licensed to do commercial work? Absolutely. We just choose not to. In an effort to flesh out a little bit more about what y'all do, what's a project you're excited about right now? Mm. You know what? I don't know if we ever take a project that we're not excited to take. And in the beginning, eight years ago, all projects were exciting. Mm -hmm. And today, all of our projects are exciting. That that has not changed. That's incredible. 
So, you know, it's interesting, though, that what we do has changed in eight years. I would say that with the COVID times, Mm -hmm. about 75% of our clients don't live in Greenville. They are migrating to this area. Matt generally calls this the great migration. Sure. You know, people's retirement dreams are coming faster. Yeah. And we have, a, you know, we have couples from New Jersey and Manhattan that are now able to work permanently mm. from their home. So moving south has was always a dream of theirs. They thought it was a retirement dream, but it can come true. Mm. We have a lot of folks coming from the Illinois, Chicago area, and then a handful of people from Florida. And I think that we're just seeing a lot of new construction going on. So eight years ago, we were doing lots of small projects of renovations and additions and a couple of new houses, but that's changed. Good info. One thing I hope to do with this conversation is have it be helpful to entrepreneurs like early on in the process or would-be entrepreneurs. And while I've got a string of questions, sometimes you'll say stuff that just pops up that uh, makes me think of something to ask you. So how are these people that are moving in from out of state finding you guys and what what do you think is you know having them land on TAW and find you and i'm asking because you know for the entrepreneurs out there how can they get noticed like was it google uh, seo to start with i think it all, always starts with word of mouth but what is helping someone from illinois find TAW and how might, how might we relate that to entrepreneurs in their search for customers sure so if the interesting thing is that 80% of our clients aren't, aren't local, how are they learning about us? The answer is internet and online okay. searching. You know, the interesting thing I find is that our average age of our client can't be that savvy on the computer. True. If I think of who my mom is. Sure. You yep. know, and, yep. and my dad calls it the Google. The Google. <laughs> So how are people like my mom and dad going on the Google yes. and finding me? Beats me, but they are. I know, it's crazy. You'll think it. They, yeah. um, so, you know, I I have a girlfriend who is new in a company, new starting her company, and she's a little frustrated because her website isn't driving business to her. Okay. And for us... We started local, Mm -hmm. we kept our heads down, we focused on this Greenville area, and it just grew on its own. So I don't know if it's absolute luck that we have grown organically, but I think a good name and a good reputation seems Mm. to be the way to grow. So we have not invested in SEO. Okay. Um, matter of fact, that's on my to-do list for 2022. But um, we are connected to a larger kind of area where people do search for residential architects. And we have not to toot our own horn, but yeah. we have 79 reviews okay. on that. And so we organically now come up in this search engine there because we have so many high reviews. Yeah. It was not, my goal was not to say, I need so many reviews from people so that I do come up first in a search engine. My original goal was, I just need to be really good to this one client that yeah. I have. And so I think then it's just become a product of keeping our head down, focusing on our clients, focusing on good architecture, and the result has come. Man, that's great stuff. Just over-delivering on the projects that you have. That 100%. first thing that you get, 
not looking past it, not looking at how do I fill the pipeline even, just that first project that comes across your plate. How do I over-deliver and totally wow this customer? You've shared enough, I think, to sort of establish some credibility and credentials. I always want to try to do that at the beginning of the interview. But I also want to flesh out who Julie is, who you are as a person Mm -hmm. to some degree. And I'm mixing it up and trying a lightning round of sorts here at the beginning with some personal questions. Oh, yay! So let's see what happens. Just answer these quickly in a word or two. We're fleshing out who Julie Tyndall is. And luckily, my mom doesn't know about the podcast. Okay. (laughs) Cussing's allowed if you want to. (laughs) Julie, are you street smart or book smart? Oh, street. Street. 100. Do you like nights out or nights in? Ugh. Dry January was nights in. (laughs) (laughs) But my heart is a night out girl. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Name a dish you cook well. Mm, Nothing. Nothing? No. Who cooks here? (sighs) Take out? No, I cook. Okay. But it's low fat, low cholesterol, low sodium, no gluten, no red meat. Yeah, so it sucks. Really? Yeah. I didn't realize y'all were like... That strict in what we do, yeah. Gracious. Yeah, it's not fun, but it's because of Matt's heart disease. Okay, that makes sense. So, you know, if he has to eat that way, we all are going to eat that way. So it's just, I just have to feed the family. Is there uh, anything you make that he loves? Where it's like, yes, it's... I mean... Oh, you know what? They, they, yeah, they, no, again, red meat, four legs. Um, yeah, they claim that they like, they like my tacos, but I think it's because you just can't really mess that one up. You do some ground turkey, you do some cheese, some cilantro, salsa. Uh, Yeah, so the kids, no, I I do make a pecan pie. Okay. And that's a solid, it's a, it's a a winner. Classic. It is. (laughs) Pecan pie. Socks with sandals. Do you support? Oh, no. What song have you sang karaoke to? <laughs> what haven't I sang karaoke really? to? Really? Share one or two. Well, you know, can karaoke count in the shower or in the no, car? No, I mean in public in a bar. Oh. Hmm. Have you ever done that? Yes, but I, it was in Charleston, and that was a long time ago. <laughs> and that started in 1990-something. So let's just go to the next question. <laughs> All right, so tell us a little bit about yours and Matt's path out of structured employment. Like, did you have a W-2 job? Did you have the traditional corporate job? What was your path out of that? What were you wrestling with in terms of the thoughts and the worries and things like that? And just take us back to that date and kind of walk us through how that looked for you guys. Sure. So um, prior to us starting this business, both of us were gainfully employed. And I loved my job. And Matt... I mean, ultimately, you leave and you start your own business because something just really isn't working. So I think it was just kind of a a product of a lot of things happening for us to leave a structured company and to start our own thing. What year was this? Uh, We started in 2014. And so Matt worked for a really fabulous company in here in Greenville. And um, Matt has done residential for probably 20 years. Started out in, in commercial work, of course. Moved to residential work. And, you know, I think, I think trying to fit a really personal experience, which is residential, mm-hmm. into a commercial square it was a square trying to shove itself into a into a square i mean a, a round hole thank you you got it it just doesn't work it doesn't work so um that's ultimately I, I think you know you get to a point where your level of frustration you realize either you have to change 
or you have to allow yourself to fit into the organization. Mm-hmm. Very true. And, and Matt just didn't want to fit into the organization anymore. So was he the one that came to you with the dream? Like who was kind of the first one that brought it up in your family or was it totally mutual at the same time? So I'll go back. 2012, Matt was 35, had a massive heart attack, and then the next day had quadruple bypass surgery. Holy cow. Yes. My little one was going to turn three two weeks later, and Will, our oldest child, was in kindergarten. So that life event changed the trajectory of us, of Matt, of me, of the two of us. So I think, you know, when you have one of these kind of events happen mm-hmm. in your life, God gives you these events, and then you have a responsibility to do something with those events that He gives you. And we had to stop, like physically, mm-hmm. we stopped. And we stopped and we paused, and it allowed us time to really evaluate how we wanted to move forward in life. Like, how did our family want to look? How did he and I want to look as a couple? And how did a career fit within that? And yeah. so, you know, I think that that was one of the reasons. So starting in 2012, um, you know, all kinds of crap was going on in the economy. Mm-hmm. People were losing their jobs left and right. And we had two kids. We were daycare poor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went back to work full-time instead of being part-time at the hospital. After the heart attack, you went back full-time? Full-time. Okay. And did Matt go back to his uh, W-2 job? He did. He did. He did. But you were starting to think about different things. I had started planting that seed. Okay. And and I did not think that it was in his best health for us to continue on the career path that we were both on. But he had said, first and foremost, Julie, I don't want to do it by myself. Architects are notoriously bad business managers okay. or bad business owners. We've never been taught that aspect of it. And I said, oh, I can do that. I can do that. What I ma- can run the business. What made you confident in that? Well, you know, I think some previous career things. Mm-hmm. Um, I only had been a nurse for a couple of months was, I, I won't even call it a promotion. I think I was the warmest body in, in mm-hmm. the room and promoted, if you will, sure. to being um, a, a a nurse manager, and I didn't have the credentials to do it. But you know what? You just fake it. You fake it until you make it. Mm-hmm. And and I made it. And and I thought, well, you know what? If I can do that, I and if I can live through Matt's mm-hmm. heart stuff and we come up on top, then, oh, my goodness, I can do this. Yeah. So you had confidence. What was the first version of math that you did to say, like, hey, can we go from we're both making a salary, we both have benefits, um, it's really scary right. when we jump off to, we have to produce if we want to make an income. Was there a first equation that hit you of like, well, we need three projects per year or we need two screen porches per month or like, do you remember that moment or anything that kind of struck you as like, Hey, this is actually possible. Right. Absolutely. So, you know, I think I've read this great book and it's called the originals. Okay. Adam and, Grant. Or, and it's yeah, Grant. over there. Adam Grant. Yes. Okay. I, I didn't read it until just a couple of years ago. And if I would have read it in 2014, you know, I, I kind of wouldn't have felt like I was I was really creating my own thing here. Mm-hmm. It, 
I'm not very original. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we did a lot of planning, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of planning. And so what we realized was that to take such a big risk for that, there had to be a lot of safety in everything else. And so that meant that if Matt went out on his own and Matt started his own business, that Julie Tyndall was going to provide for the family. And I wanted to. Flesh that out a little bit. I kept my job. Okay, so you stayed as a nurse. I while he stayed got as going. a nurse, absolutely. And but I also, so you know, I stayed a full time nurse. I stayed being the main caregiver of our three, and well, she was four and he was seven. And but I took on a lot of the responsibilities of the business that Matt in the beginning said I just don't want to do. And so if this was our dream, then I said, well, I'm going to do them. And so we had like a great delineation of who was doing what. But we lived off of my salary for a while, making sure that we eliminated all the debt that we could, Mm -hmm. except for a mortgage, and just learning how to say no financially so that we could say yes to a huge dream. And then that made the, the risk wasn't as big. And the pressure for him to keep grabbing a new job wasn't, I guess, what it is and could be. No, that's awesome. As you were telling that story, it just reminds me of when I was anticipating leaving a corporate job after 20 years and was having coffees with people that I respected and who had been an entrepreneur for a little while. And I remember a specific coffee where I had started to, in the weeks and months prior, I had started to build up some income and have some projects and make some revenue and things like that. And my coach was asking me or telling me basically like, well, once you quit your W2 job, you're only going to be able to grow that revenue. It's not, you're you're not going to step backwards. Mm -hmm. You're going to make more money. It may be low at first when you start out. And she said, but are you willing to go, are you willing to eat rice and beans for a year Mm -hmm. to see if you can get your dream off the ground? And Julie, I knew right when she said that, yes, hundred percent. To your point, I would make whatever sacrifice I needed to make. If that was attainable, that I could go and pursue my dream, I was willing to do whatever the financial sacrifice uh, was. And it sounds like you you had that moment of clarity where you're like, we got to tighten up and do what we got to do, but we're going to get this giant thing off of the ground. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I do kind of wonder if that's what maybe some of the, the things that hold people back okay. is because they go, gosh, I don't want to have to sacrifice. Mm. Well, then I guess your your dream isn't that important. True. So how long was that ramp up process for you? And maybe generalize that a little bit to like um, entrepreneurs in general. Like how long was the struggle before you started to feel like, okay, we got our arms around this. We can do this. We can grow this. What was that like for y'all? So I think after Matt's heart event in 2012, the seed was planted. And... You know, I think I think the seed was planted in my heart, and then the seed was planted in Matt's heart, but at different times. So, you know, I, I see that but by the time between the seed being planted and us deciding that we were going to go out and start this, that was a two-year process. Okay. So financially, we've just never been crazy spenders to begin with. So the financial things of getting things in line, it it just really wasn't all that hard um, because we've always been fiscally very responsible. So that wasn't, that wasn't a hard thing. I would imagine that could be a tremendous thing that holds people back, but it was so worth it that, you know, 
At the time, we would walk the kids, push them in the double stroller to the community tap. Back when they had those jugs, you would fill up a, a jug of beer. Yeah, a growler. Um, or, thank you. That's that, a much that, better word than a jug. I don't know, and I'll probably get hammered by my craft <laughs> brew friends on that. I think it's a growler. It is. It's totally a growler, a and I used okay. to have a bunch of them. And okay. and so we had looked at that that line item budget. We're like, that's two hundred dollars. That's going to have sacrifice. To be, it's going to be twenty. The craft brew had to go away. Well, it was twenty. Okay. And so then that meant that we were back to um, creek water like Coors Light. <laughs> okay. Like back in college days. <laughs> you can drink tons of those. <laughs> so, you know, those were the kind of sacrifices. But while we were sacrificing, we were also designing a logo. Okay. You know, and we were also talking about, okay, how do we network? Who are the people that we're going to, who are the people that we're going to plant this? You know, hey, guess what? We're thinking about doing this. Would you support us in our endeavors? So all the time that we were sacrificing, it was an exciting period of time because mm-hmm. I felt like we were physically doing something. I was going ahead and learning QuickBooks as an example. Getting in front of all of it. Right. Like yeah. So that when we hit the door running, mm-hmm. we were running. Mm-hmm. And then from 2014 to starting our business, I stayed employed with the hospital until 20. I stayed employed for 18 months. Okay. What was your first plan to get customers? You said you were networking. You know, what was your like, hey, this is how we're going to get our first project. So my first thought was repeat customers. Okay. They've already known Matt. They've already known his work abilities. They already know who he is, what he can do. Can I just put myself out there and say, hey, Mr. Such and Such, Matt's done work for you previously at at another company. If you ever need anything else or know someone that could benefit from our services, would you mind reaching out? Okay. Talk to me about a skill that you feel is required for someone to make it when they go out to pursue their dream what are some skills that people either need to have before they go and go for it or that they need to develop super quickly Mm. to be able to succeed to be able to keep going i think resilience has to be okay um flesh that out a little bit yeah yeah so i think you have to be resilient in saying okay well he said no but the next person may not say no and i really sucked at that interview but what did I learn from it? Yeah. And how do I do another interview better? Well, I didn't really vet that other client, that client out. And now this one is a big PIA. Yeah. So yep. how do I vet people out better? Matt had to be the same way. Like, okay, I'm a one man shop. I used to have four other people that helped me. How do I do things mm. more efficiently? And be okay. I mean, well, golly, I burned so much time on that project. I didn't make any money off of it. That's okay. How do I learn from it? So I feel like for the first probably six years of our our small business, it was beat down, beat down, beat down, beat down. Mm. But the resilience of it. Sure. And now, I mean, you know, I'm like, oh, really? We got that problem? Bring it on. I've already yes. been there. Yeah. I think it's a chance to encourage entrepreneurs that... Like you can't be prepared for everything that's going to come. And so when you hit speed bumps or have big mess ups or things that really are painful for you, it's not necessarily an indication that you're doing something drastically wrong. There may not be a major problem, but there's refinements that you can make in your vetting process with customers. There's little things you can tweak in your own processes. But I mean, I had read so many business books, listened to all the podcasts, should have been as prepared as anybody to go out and do it. And you still learn a lot of tough lessons in that first year or two. 
And I just want to say, like, I don't feel like that's an indictment upon a person who has gone after their dream and is going for it. It's just inherent. I haven't found anybody yet who's been able to say, oh, my first two years went swimmingly. Didn't learn any lessons. I mean, you're going to learn learn lessons, but don't let that, you know, just pull you down personally. Absolutely. I think learning a lesson is not a hard lesson, especially does not mean that you have failed because it, then again, it goes back to that. Then your dream wasn't that important to mm. you. If you allow one thing like 2017 was a really hard year for us. Um, it was a hard health event. You know, Matt had a little small heart health event. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it just was, it was a hard year, mm. but that did not mean then that our dream wasn't important. It was still, yeah. it was still really important. And guess what? It, it was re- even at that point, it was worth fighting for even more. So let me ask you this. Do you have days throughout the month where you still wish that you were an employee from time to time? I will say in full disclosure that I do about two days a month. I'm like, this sucks. Like, this is really hard. <clears throat> I'm so stressed out. I'm trying to be a good dad. I'm trying to be a family man, but I'm also, I got three sales calls I need to make. I need to return this email. Like I'm overwhelmed. This sucks. It'd sure be nice to clock out at 530. What's that been like for you? Do you ever have those days? What is sort of your message to people who feel that once they've gone full-time for their dream? I haven't said, boy, I want to go back to the hospital yet. Okay. Although, although I walked away loving my job. You loved it when you left. I loved it you when just, I left. Yeah, yeah. I loved it when I left. I just, I just couldn't do it anymore and allow us to run a successful company. So um, maybe that's a little bit easier for me to answer. I do think having eight years under my belt, I am able to prioritize things a little bit better. Okay. Because in the beginning, everything had to happen. Mm-hmm. And I could not figure out, should I feed the kids first or call this person back? And guess what? Some of the times where we have really bent over backwards Mm -hmm. to try to get a sale, they have never occurred. Okay. Talk more about that. Like if you're having to push really hard or something and... Or, you know, somebody calls and say, hey, I'm coming into town tomorrow. They call me on Friday. Mm. Can we meet? And guess what? In the beginning, I'd be like, sure, yes, what time? Absolutely. Can I bring you coffee? Yep. Can I pick you up from the, here, the airport? Yep. I would have done whatever yeah. it took. Yeah. And it never worked out. Hmm. It never worked out. And I think it was because either A, they weren't the kind of client for me because they didn't respect boundaries, mm-hmm. and B, I didn't put any on me to begin with. So we have a lot of hard boundaries how did those come about? I think it's a huge topic. I mean, I'm in year, start of year three, two, two full years of essentially no boundaries, mm-hmm. just like you described. You call, text, anytime, I'm replying, and we're going to try to close business. We're going to get the deal. Like, I want it. I need it. When did you start to start to say no, or hey, that's going to have to wait, or I'll talk to you on Monday? So I think the whole boundary thing came up early in our discussions of Matt and me of what do we want this business to be? Because if we did not create boundaries for the business, then Matt was just like, I mean, he might as well just keep working for the other company because, you know, the other company and, and other corporations don't always do a great job of having boundaries. Right. I mean, 
it's okay. Nobody at a corporate America goes, no, please don't check that email that I yeah. sent you at 530. They want you on it. That's right. And so then we started thinking, okay, well, other people that are gainfully self-employed, like a dentist, well, he doesn't see somebody on Friday nights and he doesn't see somebody on Saturday morning either. So why should I? So did you feel tension when you started to set those boundaries? Oh, 100%. 100%. (laughs) I thought, well, now we're going to go hungry. Well, I think that's natural. Yeah, it is. And guess what? We didn't. We've never gone hungry. Yeah. And I think what it's realized is if I set that expectation immediately in the conversation with somebody, then they know where we stand. And I've also then been okay with the people who still want to push the boundary. Okay. And, you are. And believe me, there are. Yeah. They, you know, especially, you know, if our clients are coming in from out of town, you know, if, if I happen to have answered their phone call at a six o'clock on a Thursday night, well, then shame on me. That's mm-hmm. what I did. Okay. But then I have to go back and say, you know, I did want to share with you our philosophy and that our family is really important to us. So, you know, when you plan visits mm-hmm. to this area, please know that we'll be working during business hours. Sure. Oh, well, what if I fly in on Saturday? Well, there's great places and fun things to do in Greenville. <laughs> Go to Falls Park. That's right. I'll see you on Monday. That's right. What have your children seen and absorbed as you guys worked to build this over the past few years? Like, what do you think has been their experience and as far as do they understand some of the pressures and challenges that you guys are, have been facing? Have they experienced the upside and the positive side of being self-employed? And what lessons do you hope to bestow to your two children as far as this path that you and Matt chose and whether or not it might be for them? What's your advice around that? Well, I sure as heck want to hope that they have just learned really great things from seeing us work. And, and okay. I think it's because we work from our home. Yeah. And in the pandemic, we were all together and, and we were all working. So I, I really do believe that they see grit, they see determination, they see focus, and they see that you don't finish until the job is done. And, and, and quite frankly, I, our son just made the junior varsity soccer team. Okay. And he may not be the most skilled player mm-hmm. on that team, but I've been told that the kid mm-hmm. just doesn't quit. Okay. And that he, and he, awesome. he practices hard. Yeah. And, and I don't think that we would have naturally taught them that lesson. Mm. I think he solved the lesson. Man. It's been absorbed. He's absorbed it. It has. I'll tell you the other thing, though, that has been absorbed is Mm -hmm. the fact that the children probably are more exposed. They hear more worries. Okay. Real conversations. Real conversations. Mm -hmm. They and 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 they're probably not old enough to hear the worries. Um and and in a you know, an anxious, maybe eight year old's mind. Mm That probably wasn't the right thing for Matt and I over coffee to be talking about how to handle a situation. And in an anxious eight-year-old's mind, it was, you know, oh, my gosh, we're going to be homeless. He's not going to pay us. He doesn't want to pay you. And now we're not going to Disney World. Sure. There's a real financial ramification because we outlaid this money and this money may not be coming back. And they're just hearing that going, oh, no. Right. So, you know, I, I... I mean, I, I think that we've taught them a lot of good things, but I think just inherently, when you own your own business, you carry the weight of it, and and they see it in your body. Mm-hmm. They see it. Mm-hmm. They see it in how quickly you positively or negatively respond to them, and so uh, you know. What will be your take on entrepreneurship to them? Like, let's just say they're eighteen, 
20, I guess, considering college, considering their future career prospects, you know, what will be your advice to them as far as go work, you know, go work for someone else or start working for yourself when you're young? Uh, I'm curious because I, I mean, I know, I think I know where I stand on the issue now where I'm in favor of entrepreneurship, but I want to be nuanced in talking about that with my daughters and respective of that they might have a different makeup on the inside because it isn't for everybody. So how are you guiding your kids on this topic? So I'm no expert, but I do have a great opinion. Sure. (laughs) That's what you're here for. Right. Drop it on us. Opinions are free. Um, (laughs) I have noticed that there are essentially two categories of people that are self-employed. There might be three. This is exciting. One is the one who realizes they can probably do it better than how it has been done somewhere else. Makes sense. There is the other person that is tired of having somebody else tell them what to do. And then there's another hybrid of it. Okay. And as long as my child has the the determination to work really hard, then he or she needs to go do their dream. Really? Yeah. Okay. But if, if they just don't want to have to listen to somebody and have somebody else tell them what to do, they're going to fail miserably. And they're going to fail miserably whether they're self-employed or working for somebody else. Mm. Are you tilting them one way or the other or no? No. You're going to see what develops. Let's see what develops. Okay. What are you seeing? Um, well, I have I do have a little dream. There's this famous architect. <laughs> okay. And he was on maybe CBS this morning on Sunday. And he's an older gentleman and nationally recognized. And his wife has been running the books for the company for 40 years. And they have two adult boys, and they both work in the company. Mm. So would I love to see the little Tyndall second-generation family happen? Absolutely. Absolutely. But, you know, I also want them to go out in this world. And when they're 22 and they think that they know everything, they don't. (laughs) They don't. They need to go work for somebody (laughs) just to get a little bit of that humility. Yeah, they need to get bossed around a little bit. (laughs) Absolutely. But you know what? If they go out when they're 22 and mama's their boss, uh, that'll be all right, too. You'll give it to them. (laughs) (laughs) I see your stack of books back there by the window, Julie. Looks awesome. I see originals, profit first. Subtle art of not giving an F. You've been through Profit First, right? Absolutely. Okay. We can't have an entrepreneurial interview without talking about Profit First. Tell us about the part where it talks about letting your kids share in the upside of your business or the positive sides of your business. Do you know what part I'm talking about where you're setting aside out Mm, of every dollar that mm, comes in, mm -hmm. Mike Michalowicz talks about don't invest every single penny right back into the business. You need to be setting setting aside like a fun fund or a reward fund. So the way that played out for us is like a certain percentage of every dollar that I make is going into it's going into the profit fund, and a portion of that profit fund is to be used to reward yourself mm-hmm. and enjoy the fruits of your labor as an entrepreneur. It means a lot to me because you learn in those first couple of of years that it's really easy to push towards burnout. Because, you know, now your time has more value and you're setting the limit on how much you make. And heck, it seems unlimited if you do it right. But you can start to move towards burnout and be pissed off and grumpy and grinding and working all the time. And so Michalowicz is trying to put a boundary there on that and go, 
every once in a while, sit back and take a deep breath and realize how great, you know, what you're building is and the opportunities Mm -hmm. that it has afforded you to, Mm -hmm. to be able to go and do. So have you had any times in your life now in the past few years with the kids where you've been able to say, Hey, we work super hard on TAW and you see these, you hear these hard conversations, you see us still doing this or that at nine o'clock at night, but like, this is a benefit. This is an upside. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. You know, every Saturday morning we get up and we have a to-do list Okay. and the kids do make money Okay. doing that. Um, but it is, it's labor. It's changing light bulbs. It's changing air filters. Mm -hmm. It is some sort of the other. Um, and their reward is that they get money for it. Okay. Right. And then they can buy their shoes. They can buy really fun things. This business has also given us that luxury too. Okay. Of, of making a profit. Sure. Um, you know, interestingly, I didn't read that book when we first got okay. started. And I think if I read that book when we first got started, I would not have believed in the book. I did not believe that I had earned the right to take a profit. Mm. I, I needed a certain amount of financial stability before I felt that I had earned the ability to go and spend money in a fun way. Sure. So we're to that point. We're to that point where we are financially secure in our business. Yeah. We have enough money mm-hmm. in savings yeah. for the crazy things mm-hmm. that might come our way. And so um, in July of mm-hmm. 2021, mm-hmm. we did the craziest thing. Okay. We bought a camper. Oh, heck. <laughs> And we drove it to Maine. You did? That was the first like uh, maiden voyage. And that it was camper to Maine. It was. It was so much fun. How long were you off of the business? Like, did you have to take? So we started planning in January for this. And every client that I talked to, I said, "Look, we're going to try something crazy. We're taking the entire month off." (laughs) And guess what? Everybody said, "Oh my gosh, they did." Not one person was like, "Oh well, I can't work with you. You're going to take a whole month off." Because you know that was a that was a real fear. Okay, how do we go for a whole month without making a revenue? How do we bring not bring any money in? Yeah. So, you know, it took a lot of planning. It took a lot of pumping the kids up. We're like, hey, we're going to go do this. This is what we're going to do. We're going to have so much fun. And the kids realized, I mean, we, we planned it out. We planned it out to the point where, you know, here's going to be where dad is working. Okay. And while dad is working, this is what you're going to have to do in okay. the car because you can't talk. Sure. And these are going to be the times where we are driving in the car. Matt is driving. I am talking to clients and you mm-hmm. can't talk on the phone. You can't talk yeah. on the phone. You can't watch your movies. You sure. can't do anything else. And, you know, in the early mornings when um, Matt would go out to like a campsite, a picnic table, and we would clean up the camper and we would make breakfast because that was what we were doing so that Matt could go make us money. But we had a blast. (laughs) How long was it total? Uh, (laughs) I think we made it 22 days. Oh, gosh. I think we, I had planned that we were going to be gone a little bit longer. I also didn't realize what, my goodness, I don't know, that little camper is... I mean, 200 square feet. Yeah, not big for a family of four. four. And it really sleeps too well. Okay. Um, the kids slept on a dinette. So every yeah. day and every night, you know, we were taking... Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And a boy and a girl kind of, eh, they're gross. <laughs> so it was challenging, but it was, it was just like starting our business all over again. Man. I wouldn't change it for the world. Yeah. I would do it better the next time. Yeah. 
Because you made memories. 100%. So I wanted to have you on here because I feel like as long as I've known you, you have, you know, you mentioned being street smart at the beginning. I think you're very pragmatic and practical and real. And like all the conversations I've had with you, you don't sugarcoat things Mm -hmm. very much. But at the same time, you have read books. And I think you might have, you know, shortchanged yourself a little bit on the book smart piece. But can you kind of close us out with Julie Tyndall's take on entrepreneurship, on building your dream, on building your business, as if you're talking to someone who's 25 years old, um, has made a little bit of money with the thing that they consider their passion or their craft, and they're just wrestling with all of those emotions, all of the input from their family and friends, um, their own worries. Like, What's just your summation of it all, the journey of entrepreneurship, in your opinion? I like that. That's a tough question. I think what I would want to tell a young person, my child, somebody, is if God puts it in your heart, then go for it. But work really hard Mm. and be really good at the one thing that you know you're really skilled at doing. So for us, it's architecture. Sure. And we're not going out. We're not starting anything else. We're just being really good at being architects Mm. and in this realm. So go and do what you're really, really good at doing. And one day you're going to have that confidence level that go, yeah, you're going to want to call me because I'm really good at what I do. And it's okay that you want to call another one of my competitors because you should do that homework client. Mm -hmm. Yeah, go Mm -hmm. ahead. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. But when you come back, you're going to feel really confident that you chose the right person for you. And when you've developed that confidence, then grow. I, I'm not a big fan of, of you know, taking all these different ideas. Just because I'm an entrepreneur means that I need to go start this, and I need to start that, sure. and I need to start this. Just stay focused. Focused in. Focus. Laser focus. Do what you do. Develop it to the point where you are so good at it that then you start, I don't know, taking a profit for yourself. Mm-hmm. Then mm-hmm. you start doing other things. But that laser focus can't, it has to be the very first thing you do. Great stuff. Where can people find Tyndall Architecture Workshop? Oh, thank you for the plug. (laughs) Do you have any books coming up? Do you have any courses? (laughs) I mean, I'm sure I'm going to be a repeat on this podcast. (laughs) Totally. Uh, So we are... We are all where you young folks go. We are okay. on social media. Okay. I am learning how to do stories. You're doing to... that? Oh, What Lord. about the reels? Are you doing the reels yet? I don't know. I don't know how to I do the just, reels. I can't get going on those. No kidding. Does my face have to be in it? Do I have to dance and be bougie? I just know it takes an hour to make one of those things. Mm. I better cut all this out. Because mm-hmm. they're going to be crucifying us for not doing reels. <laughs> No, okay, so you're on social. We're on social media. I'm on Facebook, where, Ooh. according to my daughter, where all the old people like me live. <laughs> and you can find us on TyndallArch.com. Awesome. Thanks, Julie. I've enjoyed it. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. See you later. To my side hustling photographers that are listening, if you're ready to reduce the confusion in your photography business while growing your revenue, I invite you to message me about a coaching course I have designed for you. Message me at brian at bnoxphotography.com. The program involves 12 weeks of working with me via phone as I help you get clear on your ambitions, nail down the milestones you'll work towards, and take daily action that will grow your business. Yes, I'll hold you accountable, but I'm also here to encourage and support you.
The program is $250 a month for three months, and I'm committed to your success. Email me to find out more at brian at See you.